What we are witnessing is nothing less than a taxpayer-funded platform for congressional Republicans to bully transgender kids. We're saying, let's keep marriage as it is, and we're going to create a separate institution, civil union. I fell in love with somebody that lives in a different country, and we are both together fighting for the rights of being gay and being free. We went in for the interview, they opened my medical exam, and here the officer reads, is a transsexual, he rushes out of the room, after a while, he comes back with a supervisor. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappelle. Eight arrested in Kuala Lumpur pro-queer protest, U.S. House Committee locks horns over pediatric trans care, and 20 years ago on the equality train. Those stories and more this week because you found this way out. I'm Michael Taylor Gray. And I'm Sarah Montague. With NewsRap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending August 5th, 2023. Eight men were arrested outside a shopping center in Kuala Lumpur for holding up placards with statements such as, being gay is not a crime, and only God can judge. The detainees are followers of the Ahmadi religion of peace and light, an Islamic splinter group that claims Imam Ahmed al-Hassan as its divine guide to the teachings of Imam Mahdi. They believe that only God can punish human beings. The eight taken into custody on July 29th ranged in age from 18 to 56. Kuala Lumpur Police Chief Datuk Mod Shuheli Modzan told reporters they were charged with promoting things against the teaching of Islam and that they were released on bail after two days in jail. A court hearing is scheduled for September. Malaysian government official Dato Sitia Dr. Naim condemned the defendants in an August 1st statement that called being LGBTQ a perverted lifestyle. The arrests are part of an increasing crackdown on LGBTQ people in the predominantly Muslim Southeast Asian nation. Private consensual adult same-gender sex has been illegal in Malaysia since British colonial rule in the late 19th century. Punishments can range from public caning to up to 20 years in prison. The U.S. House Judiciary Committee's Subcommittee on the Constitution and Limited Government held a hearing on August 3rd on the dangers and due process violations of gender-affirming care for children. Republican Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana launched the opening salvo, saying no parent has a constitutional right to injure their children. Johnson called gender-affirming care barbarism and demanded that the mutilation of children should be prohibited by our law. That's right out of the transphobic playbook that's been working so well for state-level Republican lawmakers this year. Democratic New York Representative Gerald Nadler was ready to meet the distortions head-on. Today's hearing is an all-time low for the Republican majority. In my three decades in Congress, I have taken part in plenty of hearings where I did not agree with the choice of topic, to say the least. But I am absolutely disgusted by the Republican majority's bullying, bigoted framing of an issue that would otherwise be worthy of serious discussion. What we are witnessing today is nothing less than a taxpayer-funded platform 
for congressional Republicans to bully transgender kids who are already some of the most vulnerable members of our community. Virtually every professional medical association in the United States agrees that gender-affirming health care for transgender young people can be literally life-saving. However, to Texas Republican Wesley Hunt, such unanimity must mean that the American medical establishment have absolutely lost their minds. Democrat Mary Gay Scanlon of Pennsylvania reminded her Republican colleagues that they are not doctors. Let's be clear. Congress has no business interfering in parents' freedom to make decisions about appropriate medical care for their children. The idea that politicians are more qualified to judge the medical value or necessity of gender-affirming care than every major medical organization is absurd. Make no mistake, today's hearing is not about protecting children or parents' rights. It's a cynical and frankly dangerous political attack on transgender children and their families driven not by science or facts, but by polling and political strategists determined to mobilize conservative voters through fear. On the U.S. state level this week, laws denying the rights of transgender people and the right to drag continue to be addressed in federal courts. The Chicago-based U.S. Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that Indiana's trans young people and school staff should be able to use sex-segregated facilities on campus that match their gender identities. That includes bathrooms and locker rooms. Justices cited the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. States are barred from abridging the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States and denying to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. The court's opinion acknowledged that the U.S. Supreme Court could intervene in this or similar cases. The claimants were represented by the ACLU of Indiana. Kentucky's ban on gender-affirming health care for transgender young people will remain in effect even as its constitutionality is being challenged. So says a three-judge panel of the U.S. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. The same three judges had already allowed a similar measure in Tennessee to stay in force during a constitutional challenge. The Cincinnati-Ohio-based Sixth Circuit is one of the country's most politically conservative appeals courts. Temporary injunctions are blocking comparable bans in Alabama, Florida, and Indiana. The right-wing group Parents Defending Education has lost its bid to delete anti-bullying protections for transgender students at Ohio's Olentangy local school district. The policy also bans harassment or bullying on campus based on race, national origin, sex, and a number of other immutable characteristics. U.S. District Chief Judge Algernon Marbley noted in his ruling that trans youth are threatened or physically injured in schools at a rate four times higher than other students. He went on to write, Intentional misgendering has the effect of creating a hostile environment for transgender students on account of their gender identity and thereby causes a substantial disruption. In a statement, the Olentangy District said that the decision affirms our commitment to maintaining a safe learning environment where all feel welcome and supported. A male or female performer who adopts a flamboyant or parodic female or male persona with glamorous or exaggerated costumes and makeup will not be arrested in Montana. For now. U.S. District Judge Brian Morris temporarily blocked enforcement of the anti-drag measure this week.
Republican Governor Greg Gianforte signed the law in May. A trans woman and an independent bookstore are taking the lead in a legal challenge that says it infringes on free speech. Their lawsuit claims the measure is so vaguely worded and confusing that it could be used to ban many types of performances. Judge Morris is expected to review his temporary injunction later this month to see if it should be extended. Oklahoma's Republican Governor Kevin Stitt virtually erased the existence of his state's transgender citizens on August 1st with an ironically titled Women's Bill of Rights Executive Order. Stitt is limiting definitions of gender in state law to a person's biological sex assigned at birth. There are some that don't want to recognize the important distinction of biological womanhood. Today, we're taking a stand against this out-of-control gender ideology. Nicole McAfee of the advocacy group Freedom Oklahoma called the order a thinly-veiled attack on codifying discrimination against transgender women. As she told Oklahoma City TV station KOCO, It seems to open several pathways to harm. It seems to further sex-based discrimination in our state and in a place where outcomes for women as a whole are sort of on all of the worst lists. Governor Stitt's anti-trans executive order is almost certainly going to face a legal challenge. Finally... Pride in the Park was supposed to be a celebratory, family-friendly afternoon in Watertown, Wisconsin, a city of about 23,000 people located halfway between Milwaukee and Madison. The July 30th event included food trucks, artisans and other vendors, a drag performance and a drag queen story hour. The armed and masked neo-Nazis were an added attraction. The swastika-brandishing invaders ambushed an already-planned protest by the group known as Gays Against Groomers, which quickly distanced itself from the threatening and uninvited neo-Nazis. Gays Against Groomers bills itself as an anti-trans LGB organization that seeks to protect children from seeing drag performers. It purportedly has ties to notoriously anti-queer Republican governor Ron DeSantis. Wisconsin's Democratic governor, Tony Evers, called the neo-Nazis' appearance a disgusting and direct attack on our state's LGBTQ community, communities of color, and Jewish Wisconsinites. Local police officers prevented any violent confrontations. An estimated four to 500 people had an otherwise enjoyable afternoon at Watertown's Riverside Park. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending August 5th, 2023. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap was written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucille Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazor, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Michael Taylor Gray. Stay healthy. And I'm Sarah Montague. Stay safe. Our listeners support This Way Out in many ways. By subscribing to our e-newsletter. Email us at info at thiswayout.org. And through your financial contributions to our program. More information about how you can give is online at thiswayout.org. Thank you.
Remember then. It's usually said that the LGBTQ movement's successes have come with lightning speed, but not if you take the long view. Twenty years ago this month, Canada's top court had just ordered marriage equality when civil unions hit the agenda in New Zealand. Greg Gordon reports. New Zealand's government in July announced its intention to introduce a bill to create civil unions open to same-gender and unmarried heterosexual couples with all the rights and responsibilities of marriage. The bill would amend more than 100 laws, and it's been drafted for the Labour Party by openly gay member of Parliament Tim Barnett. In Wellington, Jim Waters and Hugh Young managed to chat briefly with Barnett by cell phone about his civil union's proposal during a break in the MP's parliamentary schedule. What we're proposing is to introduce civil union, which is a parallel system to marriage, but offering all the same rights as marriage, uh, and open to same-sex couples and different-sex couples. So it's parallel, but the same rights are there, which is a crucial thing. The Canadian Act seems to go much further than ours and actually call it marriage. In fact, they seem to have just made their Marriage Act gender-neutral. Are you just bending to the pressure from the Conservatives not to do that? Well, because Canadians are bending to the pressure from the Supreme Court, which tells them they have to do it. Um, whereas we don't have a uh, court of final appeal with the same power to tell, tell the government or tell Parliament they have to do things. Um, personally, uh, I think there are grounds for amending marriage separately. I think there are grounds for saying that marriage should be looked at and should be some reform around marriage for everyone. And I think ideally, as part of that, you'd actually be looking at same-sex relationships, but we deal with fiscal realities. And we also deal with the fact that people in our community, in large part, are nervous about marriage. I think marriage has um, a number of um, negatives attached to it, which they wouldn't want to see replicated. So I think what we're doing is a classic compromise. We're saying, let's keep marriage as it is, don't touch it, and we're going to create a separate uh, institution and that's uh, an important thing to do. The opposition to it will come from some in our community who want marriage and nothing else and they unfortunately for them are going to be lined up together with fundamentalist Christians who will say let's vote against the current bill and just do nothing because I think the status quo is fine where our relationships are unprotected. So it's going to be quite a complicated debate. You will have seen of course the coverage in the uh, Dominion Post which uh, in which one of the activists, uh, a lesbian couple, uh, were quoted as saying it's a cop-out. Well, yeah, I mean, it depends on whether people say we think this is good but not enough. I mean, we are a, a country that goes through reform in an incremental way. We didn't get um, an equal age of consent for uh, homosexual relationships and human rights protection at the same time. You take, things, you take things bit by bit as you can achieve them. How is this sort of gatekeeping for the civil union done? Do you presume we go through some sort of ceremony before some sort of civil person do you what's the language? Well oh there's two processes. Essentially uh, marriage is a form of registration of a relationship and so civil union. And now whether the denominations want to create a service around that registration process um, is entirely up to them. That was Hugh Young and Jim Waters in Wellington chatting with New Zealand Member of Parliament Tim Barnett. 
Before marriage equality in the U.S., in August 2003, Congress took up a bill to secure rights for lesbians and gays in binational relationships. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come into America. Got a dream to take them there. They come into America. Got a dream they come to share. They come into America. Uh, I think it's very important for our society to respect each individual. U.S. President George W. Bush. To welcome those with good hearts. To be a welcoming country. I just think the most cruel thing that can happen is any government forcefully separating couples. On Valentine's Day this year, New York's Gerald Nadler, for the third consecutive year, introduced the Permanent Partners Immigration Act, or PPIA, in the U.S. House of Representatives, where it currently has the bipartisan support of 116 co-sponsors. The bill was introduced for the first time in the U.S. Senate this week by Vermont's Patrick Leahy and five original co-sponsors. The PPIA would modify the Immigration and Nationality Act to provide same-gender partners of U.S. citizens and lawful permanent residents the same immigration benefits that legal spouses of U.S. residents and same-gender binational couples in Australia, Belgium, Canada, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Iceland, Israel, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, South Africa, Sweden, and the United Kingdom currently enjoy. In this report by Los Angeles correspondent Kathy Sanchez, some binationally coupled gays and lesbians, and board members of Immigration Equality, the local chapter of the U.S. National Lesbian and Gay Immigration Rights Task Force, discuss the challenges faced by gay, lesbian, and transgender immigrants, and how even post-9-11 immigrant detentions can be queer. My partner's in Taiwan. I just got back earlier this week from spending two weeks with him, but... Right now, that's about all we can do a couple times a year and spend a few weeks together. I have an international partner. We've been together for about three years, and uh, it still isn't resolved of how we're going to be able to stay together, even with the difficulties of having a relationship with another individual. We have the added burden of staying together physically. We found out about immigration equality at, in West Hollywood at the City Hall when they passed the resolution in support of the PPIA, and it was a revelation. It was so great to feel like there were other people in the same situation who didn't know what was going to happen in six months when their visa were up or were here without a visa. I have an international partner and I fell in love with somebody that lives in a different country and we are both together fighting for the rights of staking together, being gay and being free. The Immigration and Naturalization Service, or INS, does not recognize same-sex couples. So unlike our heterosexual counterparts, we can't sponsor our immigrant spouses for permanent residency in the United States. This causes thousands of lesbian and gay binational couples to be kept apart or stay together illegally. There are many issues that complicate LGBT immigration. The LGBT community enjoys rights in California that other states don't offer, such as domestic partnership. Immigration Equality Board member Doug Haxel explains that domestic partnership can sometimes be detrimental. It indicates that they're in a relationship with an intent to stay in the United States and that could violate their visa, depending on what type of visa they have. Student visa, work visa, some of those you're not allowed to have an intent to stay. And to sign a domestic partnership is kind of like saying, hey, I have an intent to stay. So it's actually a serious issue. 
Doug says people also fail to see the connection between special registration and the LGBT community. The countries that so far are required to register with the INS are not LGBT-friendly. Doug says binational couples hit two walls, one with the INS and the other with their country of origin. Many of the people who were detained, they had family members in Los Angeles who could try to, to, to get them out and go through the appropriate legal channels to help them. But there was a couple cases we know of where a, a gay man was detained, and he, was, he wasn't completely comfortable being out about his partnership anyway, and he wasn't fully comfortable uh, you know, addressing that issue. And because of the country he came from that was as a culture that was somewhat hostile to homosexuality, he had nowhere to turn. The, the uh, ethnic support groups for his, his home country were unsupportive. They didn't want to hear about gay and lesbian issues. And his partner was having to work quietly in the background. That was an extremely frightening situation for them. And, you know, if you're dealing with these issues of coming out and immigration, on, uh, you know, all of these things together on top of then detention and special registration, I mean, it's just, it's just another burden that, that same-sex binational couples are going to have to go through to justify their existence. And it is yet another reason why we are so actively fighting for the Permanent Partners Immigration Act, because it would enable people to have a legal, valid partnership visa and be able to stay here legally. As complicated as this can be for gay and lesbian couples, things get even stickier if you're transgender. The INS does not recognize post- or pre-operational transgender persons, nor does every state. Immigration Equality Board member Chris Heise explains that this lack of clarity had a detrimental effect on his application. Under California law, I'm legally married to a U.S. citizen, my wife. In my case, the INS did not acknowledge this for federal purposes. We went in for the interview. They asked all the questions. They opened my medical exam. And here the officer reads, is a transsexual. He rushes out of the room. After a while, he comes back with a supervisor who then asks us, says, so you're transsexual, then I only have two questions for you. How you, do you define transsexual, and do you have a penis? So she did not look at any of our stuff, anything we filed. I answered her questions, honestly. And the response was, well, we're going to retain your file, and then we will decide if we forward it to our marriage fraud unit or if we forward it to, they have some other unit, which obviously is something like a black hole. Opponents of the bill argue that adding permanent partner to the Immigration and Nationality Act would leave the U.S. open to a flood of immigrants. Immigration Equality Board member Sophie Finelli says that argument is just plain nonsense. Sometimes people talk about fraud as being an issue. You know, if we allow, if we sign this PPIA, then everybody is going to be partners and we're going to have these, all these people moving in. Who would want to lie about being gay in America? <laughs> it makes no sense, especially when you can get married in, in Vegas. It affects me. Uh, my partner is Mexican, and uh, I just think it's abominable, this country, this day and age, that you know, 14 other countries around the world already accept it. And this is supposed to be the most forefront country in the world, and you can't even do this. It's like being in a glorified jail, prison. I just think it's abomination in the 21st century. That's all I have to say. I'm Kathy Sanchez. Hi, this is Terrence Stamp, Bernadette in The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, on This Way Out. Remember then. 
In August 2003, the long fight for transgender rights was just getting underway. Transgenders have recently won civil rights protections in three U.S. jurisdictions. Pennsylvania Governor Ed Rendell issued an executive order prohibiting employment discrimination in state executive branch agencies based on gender identity or expression. Meanwhile, the San Diego, California City Council voted to protect transgenders under their municipal human dignity ordinance. But the largest number of transgenders by far will benefit from California's new statewide ban on housing and job discrimination. Embattled Democratic Governor Gray Davis, who's counting on queer support in the face of a historic recall election against him in October, quietly signed the bill on the same day he put the final touches on the state's notoriously overdue budget. With production assistance from Paul Jaffe, This Way Out's Brian Goebel reports from San Francisco. The bill was sponsored by openly gay assemblyman Mark Leno. It was inspired by San Francisco's staggering 70% unemployment rate for the city's transgendered residents. Leno says that's more than 12 times the national average. I know so many people who have held positions of great responsibility, have great expertise and talent and experience in any number of fields, and then as a result of their transitioning to their new gender identity, can no longer find any work whatsoever. The new law goes into effect in January. It amends the state's Fair Employment and Housing Act to include language that bans discrimination against individuals who are born of one gender but may look or act like the other. Shannon Minter is with the National Center for Lesbian Rights. It would include uh, men who are perceived to be uh, feminine or women who are perceived to be masculine. So it affects actually quite a number of people who may be discriminated against because they don't conform to gender stereotypes. California will now fall in line with three other American states and most of Europe, which have already outlawed discrimination against transgendered people. Leno called it an important civil rights victory, especially now. The uh, radical right forces, which are represented so clearly by the Pope and the President and the Attorney General, continue to declare war on social progress, and I think that this bill, which is now state law, is a victory and challenges the controlling regressive forces. And those forces, say gay rights advocates, are the same forces helping to drive the effort to get rid of Governor Davis, who now finds himself fighting for his political life. The Democratic governor faces an October 7th recall election, a contest that has drawn a long list of candidates, including the Republican actor Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. For This Way Out, I'm Brian Goebel in San Francisco. Coming back to 2023... Immigration and trans rights are still and again favorite targets of the Republican right. California's current Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom has plans to debate Florida Governor Ron Don't Say Gay DeSantis on Fox News. 
Thanks for finding This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Newswrap was reported this week by Michael Taylor Gray and Sarah Montague and produced by Brian DeShazer. Our archival correspondents included Greg Gordon, Jim Waters and Hugh Young, Kathy Sanchez and Brian Goebel. Tower of Power, the Earls, Neil Diamond, and Huey Lewis and the News performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks the Yavana Foundation and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email us at info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Falcha to our newest listeners on Salzburg FM, Salzburg, Scotland. And thanks also for listening on CKDU Halifax, Nova Scotia, KCEI Taos, New Mexico, WLSL St. Leo State City, Florida, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.